in a way, I feel like each journey that we have is catered to who we are. And I feel like the fine art world chose me because I probably wouldn't have been brave enough to choose the fine art world. Black creativity is unstoppable. The Studio Noise podcast takes you into the studio with Black artists and creatives making the art that moves the culture. You get to feel all the inspiration, technique, and passion behind the people making paintings, making sculptures, making prints, making noise. It's the Studio Noise podcast with your host, Jamal Barber. It's the noise. Yes, it's your boy, Jay Barber. On Studio Noise, I love to talk with black artists that are doing amazing work on all levels. You know what I mean? Just say, for instance, if there was a young woman on the Forbes 30 under 30 for artists, doing covers for the New Yorker, working with Vogue magazine, doing international shows. I mean, (laughs) come on, right? That's somebody that you want to talk to. I'm sure that person has some great insight about what's going on in the art world and her career and all the kind of good stuff. And so that amazing artist is our guest today. (laughs) That's right. We got Miss Grace Lynn Haynes. Her work is absolutely amazing. I'm so glad she made some time to talk with me. Uh, She's super busy, got so much going on, but we get into a lot of that ins and outs stuff. You know, all the stuff that we like to listen to. We talk about her two new, two New Yorker covers. Her time at the Kehinde Wiley Black Rock Residency. She was one of the first group to go out there. Uh, going to grad school during this period of success for her. And it's your boy. So, you know, I got to ask the material questions. I want to know how she does it. All the little bits and pieces. Right. And so it's a great conversation for you today. I try to bring you the best voices in black contemporary art. You can check the website, studionoisepodcast.com to see more. All the other episodes. I'm catching up on transcripts, but this one will be available this week. And you also find some merch, feature articles, a lot more. And if you listen to this episode and you like what you hear and you like all the other episodes, 125 episodes now of all the best black art contemporary voices that we can possibly find. If you like that and you support it, why don't you go ahead and join our Patreon? I sure do appreciate everybody that has donate, continues to donate and will donate to support this show. I definitely appreciate you. I'm scheduling some great guests to come by to, to the Midtown studio space where we have some special Patreon episodes and more episodes right here on the noise so i'm really looking forward to that and i hope you are too it's gonna be a great time but as of right now i know what you're here for (laughs) i know why you're here today you're here to listen to grace lynn haynes right after the break right here on the noise baby yes Hey loves, this is Abby Salami and I'm a painter based in Dallas, Texas and you're listening to Studio Noise. Yeah! Alright, it's your boy Jay Barber here with more Studio Noise. You know, on the noise I always say it's all the black artists that you want to know and that you need to know and my guest today definitely resoundingly checks both those boxes. It's Miss Grace Lynn Haynes here on the podcast. How you doing, girl? Yeah, I'm doing great. Um, 
in school right now. So I've just been trying to balance school and work life. But today was a pretty cool day. So I'm really excited to be here. And thank you for inviting me on the podcast. And I'm really excited to have this conversation today. That's what's up, yo. Thank you, yo. It's so, um, anybody don't know, you should know who Grace is. And you can go to our website, bygraceland.com. Check out on Instagram at bygraceland. It's a amazing work that she does. Absolutely fascinating. So we're going to talk about a lot of stuff. We just talked about how she's still getting her MFA, y'all. Don't be mad. <laughs> she's out here having such a wonderful career, already has such a wonderful career, and is just getting her MFA under 30. Are you still under 30? You're still mm-hmm. under 30. Yeah, I'll be oh, turning oh. 29 um, next month. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Young girls doing it big. I love it, Joe. <laughs> so when I'm going to start the interview off a, a little different, and I'm going to start with my introduction to your work, which was... Mm-hmm your New Yorker cover. When I first saw it came out, I was like, wow, this is beautiful. Like who did this? And then find out it was you. (laughs) It's amazing, yo. So tell me, we're going to rewind a little bit, but take it back to that moment when you got that, that call for that project. Uh, And it's such a meaningful, powerful project that you did. Yes. Um, So it was during the pandemic and I was actually having a really hard time creating um, mainly because I, I went back home with my parents because I live alone in New Jersey. So I went back to California with my parents. I didn't really have a studio. I didn't really have much means to create. And so um, when the New Yorker contacted me, I figured this was a chance to like revive my creativity. I was super excited, super stoked, um, super surprised. And it just also showed me the power of social media and the power wow. of really putting your work out there. And this was also during the um, protests for Black Lives Matter and George Floyd. And it was also a lot of um, tension being built up and anticipation and people really needing to see art to kind of keep them going. And so because of um, during that time with the Black Lives Matter protest, people were posting a lot of my artwork and sharing it on their feed and sharing it on their stories. And I literally gained probably around like 10,000 followers in less wow. than two weeks just because people were just sharing Black artists, which was yeah. a great way to support the movement is to support you know artists and um, local craftspeople and business people. Um, and so that's how the New Yorker came across my work is uh, work was through seeing these postings. And so when I got the email, I was like, whoa, I can't believe they even got came across my work. And they had this idea for making a painting for Women's History Month. And so I was looking up the history of the 100th anniversary for Women's History Month. And I realized that Black women specifically weren't able to vote until 1965. So technically this cover didn't apply to all women. And so I wanted to really bring that into awareness. And so I did a cover on Sojourner Truth, which to me is the most amazing American of all time. I think that Mm. she should be on all of our currency and we should know more about her. But she was basically born into slavery and she managed to escape. And she's known for her speech, Ain't I a Woman? And so I figured this would be a great way to acknowledge that not all women are seen the same. Not all women are treated the same. And we all have different plights. And so the cover was was a portrait of her and was also dedicated to her. And I figured it would be a great conversation to talk about like the history of these uh, feminist movements and how they excluded a lot of black women historically. Absolutely. And you have a video, a great video done by the New Yorker where you break down the piece uh, in a little bit more detail. We, I'm going to just refer people to that. So we don't have to like go over all of it, but like just some of the details, quick highlights that, that 
is the plant in the back. You raised it so that it's going upward instead of like being like a little lagging plant. You added a, the button on the shirt and you added hummingbirds to it. Like talk about the hummingbirds and like some of those other details that you added as part of your process. Yeah. So the, the photo, um, I was inspired by many different photos of Sojourner True. To me, she is the original selfie queen. Like she literally, <laughs> <laughs> you know, in the, in the early 1900s was yeah. photos of herself to promote her, her speech, which I thought was, she was way ahead of her time. And so I saw these various black and white photographs of her and I thought, how can I make this modern? How can I make this relate to, to today's world, today's art world? And so I raised the flowers up in the background of the photograph to kind of signify um, this sense of coming to the light or, or growth or um, rising back up again, which I think is very significant to Sojourner's true story of being born into slavery and managing to escape and not only escape, but really become empowered and, and really question society's views of, of, of her womanhood. And so I raised the flowers up. I also incorporated hummingbirds, which were an homage to my grandma who who passed away a few years ago. And I know that she definitely had to deal with a lot of a lot of racism and sexism during her time. And she was a lover of beauty. She was a lover of collecting beauty. She had an antique shop and she would collect different artifacts from all across the world. And she just really had um, a, a strong um, feeling towards hummingbirds. And I would always see hummingbirds plastered all over her home. So it was really just a homage to my grandma and everything that she's gone through and how she still cling to to find some beauty in life and that was through like nature hummingbirds and antiques and uh, things like that yeah I, I love how you are able to pay homage to your grandma with the new yorker cover like you know what i'm saying like a like that little touch that's super meaningful to you now is being expressed to like so many people all the millions of people that saw the cover the lights up in Times square when it was up and all kinds of stuff like i think that's beautiful thank you thank you i appreciate that for sure and then you came right off of that one that gave you another cover shortly after that that was more and I don't and tell me this one if that was um not not exactly purposeful but meaningful to you in that they saw your work being translated into fashion and style that was for the style issue of the new or of the New Yorker like do you like that correlation with your work or is that something you are trying to do or want to get away from so that you not don't have all black women are fashionista icon type stuff like but well how do you feel about that yeah i think it was um i really had to think things through with with this specific cover because it was less about history and more about fashion and aesthetics and the way we choose to decorate ourselves which is very important to black culture especially like you know we we love to dress ourselves to represent our culture and where we're from and take pride in who we are um and so for this cover in specific, I wanted to paint the figure in these bright, colorful background and also immerse, immerse her in this really colorful outfit because it was such a hard time with the pandemic and the political atmosphere. There was so much turmoil in our country. I wanted to kind of create an image that was bright, but if you look at her eyes and the way they're positioned, there's still a sense of seriousness. So I wanted to kind of juxtapose that. And I was also inspired by um, by, um, by, by different um, 
Black women in in media from from history, whether it be like Diana Ross or uh, Betty Davis, and really just how how the way we adorn ourselves can be expression of our womanhood. And so I tried to take it to a deeper level. Um, and a lot of people really resonated with like the colors and also her expression to maintain that even though this is like a fun um, outfit and bright, colorful colors, there's still like a seriousness to the time we're in and a seriousness that, that Black women need to be taken seriously and heard. Yeah, I completely like that. And and I asked the question in that way because I don't want to presuppose like your relationship to style and fashion. You know, I talked to um, Jamia Richmond um, Edwards before and she talked about how they used to dress, dress, dress in mm-hmm. Detroit with her mama making clothes and stuff like that. And so that sense of style and fashion is can be super important and powerful. And it doesn't have to be mean that you're being marginalized just because you emphasize it. Like you, you mm-hmm. can do, you can walk and chew gum at the same time. You can be about mm-hmm. empowerment and still feel good in what you're adorning yourself with, your words, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, I agree. <laughs> Absolutely, yo. So uh, you've had the kind of career already that a lot of people would uh, be very envious of. Like that, you would, you would, your career as it stands right now in 2021 is already on a lot of people's goals list. I mean, you've been in, done Vogue collaborations, New Yorker covers, uh, solo shows. You're represented by Band of Vices. Uh, and is it Loose Gallery? Is that how you pronounce it? Mm-hmm. Loose Gallery in, yeah. uh, in Italy. Mm-hmm. In Italy. So, like, that's tremendous success for you and not to mention Forbes, 30 artists under 30, a tremendous amount of success. How do you take that in that when you know that? the work that you do is being appreciated so much and so quickly. Yeah, I would say definitely it's, it's been, there's a lot of beauty to it, but there is also a lot of stress that goes on behind the scenes. And I really just feel like I'm just starting off. Um, I don't, I consider myself to be still very much an emerging artist who's still paving ways and trying to figure herself out. And I think that we're always in a, a journey we never really arrive at like a specific destination um, but I still believe I'm like at the beginning stages of my own journey and it, it took me by surprise you know I come from a family that's like very conservative and we didn't go to museums um, my parents never traveled outside the country like I wasn't really exposed to much of the art world at all so when I moved to the east coast and I saw you know, the gallery scene in New York City and just the, the different types of artists that were showcasing. I was like blown away by this world. I didn't know, I had no idea that you can be an artist for a living. Like to me, that was why I chose to be a commercial artist at first, because I felt like, okay, at least I could be creative and still have some type of, you know, um, steady income. But when the fine art world kind of pulled me in, it, it showed me a whole nother side to creativity and what you can all the different things that you can be as an artist. But I think like in regards to like the career, it, it has been at times hard um, trying to balance like school life. Like I'm still, you know, getting my MFA. So trying to balance work and school and really just trying to balance, you know, of course your mental health because that affects your art as well. And making sure you're eating and drinking your water and going outside and having an active social life, you know, trying to have just like a very well-rounded life. Um, it has been, you know, a balance and something that I'm still trying to juggle. But um, overall, I would say that it's it's been a blessing. And 
Um, I, it, it, it has come with a lot of work as well. A lot of, you know, when I was in my early twenties, I didn't really go out much. I didn't like date. I didn't, you know, party on the weekend. I didn't really have like a typical twenties. I feel like I'm actually now kind of in like in my younger twenties, even though I'm 20 turning 29, it's like, I finally get to enjoy, you know, being young, but so it did come at a cost, but um, I feel like it just happened in reverse for me. Now I can feel young and free versus in my early 20s, I was super career focused. That's what's up. So you're getting an MFA in Rutgers. How long mm-hmm. is the program at Rutgers? Two years or three years? It's a, it's 2.5 because of um, COVID. So they oh, okay. actually offered us a free um, semester because the first year all of our classes were online. And so they, they offered us... Uh, half of a semester to to still have a studio and access to like facilities okay so if does all the work and i've had this conversation before because i just got my mfa um in printmaking here my program was three years but i'm I'm much older than you but in in terms of having so much success so early in the amount of work that you know goes into getting a career and maintaining a career even at that level how does it did it affect how you felt about pursuing the MFA? Yeah, I think I was reaching a point in my work where I felt kind of stuck and bored and I didn't really have any fine art or expressive art background or mentorship. And I figured getting my MFA would actually help me like figure out what exactly it is that I'm trying to say and also develop a language behind my work because before uh, my MFA program, I really didn't know how to talk about my work. I was like, I just mm. paint figures, you know, black black women figures. I didn't really know how to expand past that. And so school really gave me like the language that I need to articulate my thoughts and talk about my paintings and also talk about art history and how it relates to my paintings. Um, but I do think that it it is that hard to balance, you know, both school and work. But yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to be in my MFA program. That's what's up. And I think it's it's important to add that extra layer of research to your work too, right? Because because you do it still exist in the canon, whether you know it or not, you are like contributing to it. And so even in this moment, I think of you and what I consider to be these bold new um black women contemporary figures that you're with, like Yo-Yo Lander, uh Kentour Davis, um, mm-hmm. Lenise Howard, like I see you in that same vein. And so it's good to have the language that goes along with it because that um, props up everybody when you're able to talk about it and they take you serious in those circles just because your work is powerful enough already as it is. And then when you add that fundamental understanding of what you represent, um, that's an unstoppable match. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That that's That's very true. It's like you can have the work, but then sometimes like not being able to talk about the work can cause a disconnect with the audience. And so, cause they're looking for you for the answers, you know, sometimes yeah. it's like they're, they're curious, they know their interpretation, but they want to know you, uh, the artist's interpretation. And so it's, it is important to be able to articulate about your work, to be able to talk about why you paint the things that you do, why you put 
the figures and place them a certain way? Why you use particular colors? Why you use the medium that you use? Is there something in your childhood that inspired you to create, you know, this part of the painting? So I think it's very important. MFA programs do really help you talk about your work because you talk about it so much because you're in yeah. constant critiques, you're in constant discussion. So you talk about your work so much that you literally develop like a script in your subconscious that you yeah. just feel like you're, you're saying the same <laughs> thing over and over because you talk yeah. about it so much, which is good. You know, it becomes yeah. a part of you in that way. It's come second nature. Well, after a while, you just learn how to say certain things because you've seen other people do it too. And I think that's really helpful to see other people talk about their work and you kind of find the flaws in what they're saying and what you're seeing. And then you analyze your own stuff. So I, I think it'll be great for you even coming out. I can't wait to see uh, the type of stuff that you'll be doing. Like, do you plan on doing writing to go along with your work? Yes, that's a perfect question because I, I'm buying, I'm actually buying a typewriter. Um, I know it's so dramatic. Like my friends are like, why can't you just type it out on your computer? I'm like, no, I want a typewriter. I want to feel like I'm like there back in go. the olden days that's or something. Her, that's a journal of truth right there. Yeah, that's right. It's a real honoring her, you know. That's amazing, yo. Yeah. And so, so let's talk a little bit about the work that you're creating. And mm-hmm. kind of the foundation of a lot of your ideas, I mentioned a uh, few other black women artists. And I think that as a as a group, all of you as a in this moment of they call it a black renaissance. I don't refer to it as a renaissance because we're already here. We've been here the whole time making. Mm-hmm. So we're not coming back. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. We're already here. But I think that mm-hmm. that in this moment, the way that I see you and your contemporaries defining and redefining the black woman's image in your pictures and what's important to you that you're projecting out to the world. Talk to me a little bit about that as a foundation for your work. Yes, I think that there's something powerful about taking ownership over your your own image and saying like this is what I this is the way I want to be portrayed. I think there's so many nuances to 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 our culture, to our history that are often not talked about or not seen. And I think one of the major movements right now in the art scene is is showing who we are outside of struggle, showing who we are outside of pain. And that's something that I've been striving for in my own work as well. My work really derives from my childhood of looking at like Disney movies, specifically fairy tales and Disney princesses and not really seeing myself in like these kind of mystical fairy tale like environments. And I'm like, I want to see women that look like me in these type of mystical environments. I want to see us in magical realms. I want to see the way we interact with each other in these realms. And so it really goes back to my childhood, childhood experience of not feeling seen or, or being upset that these, that I, I felt like I wasn't a part of this experience. I felt like I was on the outside looking in. And so I really think that this is a very empowering movement for us to say, hey, this is literally how we want to be seen. Or you can see so many different types of Black experiences from all across the diaspora, from America to the continent to the Caribbean. You can see that we, we have so many different experiences as well, whether you grew up in the suburbs or you grew up in the inner city. There's just so much to us that has not been seen yet because a lot of the focus in the past has been mainly on our our history with enslavement, which is very important to discuss and very important to to be brought to the light. And I I feel like now our generation is kind of like, okay, like who are we now? How do we move forward? What does the future look like? And who are we in our interior lives and outside of the public eye? 
so you see your pieces as kind of showing that interior, that rest, that, um, uh, you know, black women rest, uh, hashtag, you know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. Like, do you fall, do you see yourself falling into that? Is that the main message that you're trying to push? Um, I would say at first it started off, um, my first series of work, it was really about interior lives and who we are inside of our own homes and how do we decorate our spaces and what are spaces where we can truly feel free. Now I'm more focusing on community and and specifically related around dance mm. and also creating my own fairy tales and myths and centered around womanhood and also exploring color and and pattern as well and how that can tell the story. And so my work has been kind of shifting more towards how women at, interact with one another and the relationships between Black women as well. And I believe that dance is uh, an activity that brings women together. And it's such an essential part of Black girlhood and womanhood is, you know, we always love to dance, you know, and we, yeah. we create all the dance trends as well. Yeah. And so it's really talking about dance and movement and community and creating my own like fairy tales and myths around these these events are the pieces that you showed at the armory show like was that like part of the new series yes yes that was the direction that i'm headed more into is showing more than just one figure and how they interact with one another yeah and also exploring like costuming and i really just love mysticism i love fairy tales. I love um, things that feel like otherworldly and not really quite here, almost dreamlike. And I'm always thinking, what does it mean for me to just paint my dreams, you know, to have the freedom to paint my dreams, to not really think about something specific politically, but just to be able to paint my dreams and, and have that be appreciated. Yeah. And um, I'm fast forwarding a little bit because I I was going to mention the Armory show coming up but uh, this is a perfect time to bring it up when two collide is the piece that i saw online and it's a it's a very wonderful piece and even in this short period of time that piece compared to some of the other work that you had like at band devices or something um it's a tremendous amount of growth already just the inside of the the yellow flames i'm gonna call them flames but those kind of shapes inside of of the two body suits that the figures have on like the amount of gradients that you put into it. Like I see like a, a, a level of maturity happening like inside of that in just a short period of time. Um, tell me about that piece in particular, When Two Collide. Yeah, so thank you for noticing the growth because I'm like, I was always wondering like how 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 everyone's going to respond to the work. But I definitely wanted to push myself with these series and each series I'm pushing myself and I'm adding new characters to the works. And When Two Collide was, a very important piece because it's my first piece showing two figures. And it also, it was exploring themes of dance, but what happens before dance? A lot of times people have different inter- interpretations of what the women are doing in the painting. And I kind of like that. Um, but for me, it was kind of exploring what happens before you go out to perform. It's like you help each other stretch, you help each other, you know, bend your bodies, you help each other prepare for the movement itself. And so it's really a very intimate experience and it really is about community and helping each other um, before the performance itself. And so I would often look at some of the outfits that um, would take place. Like there's a show called Dancing Dolls on Lifetime. So I would always like yeah. screenshot and like- Yeah, my wife watches outfits that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's so much fun. And it's just, to me, it, it represents- 
represents almost like an escape from our reality. Like I'm very interested in, in exploring that space between like like home or school, like that one space that exists between the two where you can really find that freedom and kind of escape because it's like, we, like we have so much fun because our lives are so hard, you know? Mm, And so we have the most fun and I want to really kind of showcase how we have fun and what happens before that spectacle. And so when two collide, it's just about two, two young women um, helping each other out before the performance, they have their outfits out and there's kind of like this heat and this warmth that's, that's developing as they help each other out. And um, there's also like a, a, a fairy type creature at the top of the, of the painting as well. So incorporating different characters and showing the black female body and different mystical forms is, is really what I'm passionate about. That's what's up, yo. Do you have, it, it seems like with this kind of interest, and excuse this if it's, I'm way off base, but do you have like a burner TikTok account where you like doing dances and stuff? <laughs> like you like, you like the, the dances, like you into it? I'm with you. I mean, TikTok, it kind of scares me sometimes. Like, <laughs> I feel like that's how I know I'm getting a little old because I'm like, man, like TikTok, I don't know. I mean, I watch TikTok from YouTube. That just says how old I am. Um, but it's definitely, it's it's interesting because I know there's a lot of controversy with um, a lot of the the black TikTokers not yeah. getting con- not getting credit for um, those dance moves as well. So I felt kind of like, like, I don't know if I want to engage in this or like, yeah. you know, I know there's a lot of controversy with that. No, I feel that. I feel that. But it, so I just love I love the way that we celebrate, right? As black people. Like even mm-hmm. despite the struggle we talk about, um because of the struggle we have so much fun, but even during the struggle we still go to have fun. You know what I'm saying? I love the pictures of Martin Luther King playing pool with Jesse Jackson, you know what I'm saying? Like after the after the march and stuff. Like, you know, that part of it is is always a part of who we are. And I see your work not only is showing us like beyond the struggle, but showing us in a way that the people watching still don't realize how special we are. Like, mm-hmm. and I feel like your work is like part of that showing you like, look at, look at the color that's inside mm-hmm. of our homes. Like look at how we act and relax and pose in such beautiful ways. Like I, I love that about your work. This is Leslie Dugan. I'm a printmaker. I'm an artist. I'm a black woman business owner in Bedside, New York. And you're listening to Studio Noise. And so I'm moving a little bit into materials. Um, When I look at a lot of your work, there's so many different levels of color, levels of texture, um, even levels of design. Right. And you have such facility in painting, very clean paintings, like especially how solid your figures are, the solid, solid solidity of the black compared to I think of one in particular where it almost looks like this really puffy fur coat that's really super soft, like against the skin. Like, tell me about your material journey. Like, where are you, where did you go and how did you kind of add all these different things into it? Yes. So I would say um, in undergrad, when I studied um, illustration and painting and like learning how to draw figures and paint textures, that's where I really got the skill set, which I think is really important 
um, to, is to really have a strong foundation so that you can say the message that you want to say with with clarity and with focus. And that's that's how I really began introduced began to become introduced to figure figures in general or painting figures and movement was through figure drawing classes. I've been taking figure drawing classes for about like seven to eight years now. And and I actually really love it, just painting and capturing movement and capturing the pose. And I really love textures as as well. I love, I'm a lover of fashion and even fashion illustration. Um, I know sometimes it's kind of seen as cliche for a fine artist to to like illustration <laughs> or to like you know fashion illustration or anything right. commercial art, but I, re- I have a real appreciation for illustration, for comic book art, um, for for these forms of art that I feel like take a take a lot. You have to have a lot of strong foundational skills in. You yeah. know, I really have yeah. appreciation for this a skill set to be able to construct an image. With, with clarity and knowing anatomy, knowing your color, knowing your composition, because my school, undergraduate school, really enforced that on, on the students there. And so I really love color as well. I believe color tells us a lot about our psychology. There's actually a really kind of creepy test online called the color test where you choose these different colors and based off the colors that you choose, it can tell you like what you're going through in life. And every time I take the (laughs) test, it's very eerily accurate. And I'm just like, I don't know how how that happened and i have i take i have my family members take it and they're like that's scary and they're like they're almost like they don't they're mad that i that that i made them take the test because the result that came up was so true and so i just that really just taught me the power of color and the way it affects our psychology and the colors that we choose to surround ourselves with and the colors that we're drawn to how they represent they can represent our state of mind they could say something about our personality and i was very intrigued by the contrast of dark and light coexisting together in one image, which is why the figures were were a pure, 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 pure black. And the, the colors in the background were um, like these pastel light colors. So I was really intrigued by this contrast and having the dark not represent evil, but it represent something positive and represent the central focus of the painting itself. And so I really like that kind of compliment as well. And color is really important to me. And I like to play around with with color and use it in unrealistic ways and paint like a volcano hot pink or Mm. um, even with the skin tones, like use unrealistic skin tones to to represent our culture. And so I think color can really kind of have you question, um, question things in the paintings. Do you consider yourself a colorist? Uh, yeah, I think I would. I mean, um, for people that don't know, know, yeah, colors, I know. I was this like, is. <laughs> this I was is like, <laughs> I had to call this is an art yeah. term. Yeah, this is an yeah, art yeah. term. We're not talking yeah. about. Yeah, uh, I hate dark skinned women. Like nothing like yeah, that. Like no, 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 no never no. that. Never <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah, no, not that colorist in like painting ways. Yes. <laughs> like like you draw <laughs> yes, color schemes. Art, yeah. yeah, color theory. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I love color. I love 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 it so much. I have like a Pinterest board with just color schemes everywhere even the way I decorate my home it's like I'm like what colors can I use to represent you know a personality like I specifically made sure to buy a yellow couch so when it's winter and it's cold here on the east coast and it's like zero degrees I can look at a yellow couch (laughs) and be reminded of the sun you know so it's just like everything is like very intentional and I've never actually taken a color theory class so it's something that I've that's always been kind of just like a natural instinct. Um, yeah. I want people to look at my paintings and go, those are like, that's a grace color palette. Like the, mm. the way she uses the color, I want it to be very distinct and I want it to kind of 
um, be a foundation of the painting itself. Like I wanted right. to tell a story. Yeah, same way we think of Richard Mayhew and, and his stuff while he's doing it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what does the color pink mean to you? Hmm. I've had a, like a, an interesting relationship with the color pink. Um, I feel like when we're young, a lot of girls, like we hated pink because we thought it was the cool thing to do. Like, oh, you would like, <laughs> like the, the girliest color, you know, it's like the cool thing to do. And so I kind of fell into that court. I fell into that trap. Um, but as I grew older and I went to school and I met one of my friends, um, Evelina, she's a fashion illustrator, and fashion artist, and we became super close. She was just such a proud woman who loved pink only paint in pink. And she got me so obsessed with pink. Um, <laughs> and it's like, we had a really like deep connection in terms of just our love for being women and our love for like uh, women friendships and seeing the value in that. And she really introduced like the love for pink back into my life. And the first few paintings I ever made were only pink. Like I was afraid to use any other color. Like I was afraid to even use like a melon orange or like a light blue. Like I was like, it has to be pink. But then I realized, you know, I'm going to, I have a very like personality where I get bored easily. So I'm like, I can't keep doing pink. I'm going to get bored. But now yeah. actually in a painting that I'm working now for the Dallas Art Fair, I'm, I'm actually using a pink background again. So I'm like, oh, this reminds me when I first started off, but I love pink because it just, it's such a soft color, but it makes such a strong statement. Like if you see a man wearing pink, you're like, wow, he's making a statement. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, or like if a woman's dressed in all pink, you like, it's a statement of some sort, you know, it's a statement of not caring. It's a statement of, you know, femininity and just being in touch with that or not being ashamed to, cause some women like it's, it's, it's like when we were all pink, we're like, Oh, we're just, you know, sometimes it's easy to think like we're being a stereotypical girl, right. yeah. but there's a pride in that, you know, when you wear it boldly and say, Hey, I'm wearing like the most stereotypical feminine color and I'm proud of it. Yeah. I completely agree with that. I've saw, seen some of your very early paintings and you do have the facility to render, um, re, quote unquote, realistically, uh, but you've chosen to use this kind of flat black for all your figures. Like what, what was the reason behind that? Yeah, that's a great question because it's something that I, I constantly think about. Like, I'm like, what if I just, you know, started painting real, realistically? I'm like, how would people even respond? Like, would yeah. it be as powerful? Would it, you know, it's something that I never know because I never really had time to really go back and explore that style. Mm. And most of my realistic paintings were done in oil paint because oil paint was my first love. It was my first love for paint. Like I love the, the realness and the rawness that you can get from oil paint versus like a, a acrylic. And when I paint it in realist, a more realistic style, um, it was more like, I always felt like I was doing portraiture in, in terms of I had to paint like a specific person or like look up photographs of my friends and like paint them versus like the style that I do now. I can just make up something out of my head. I don't have to reference like a specific person and that right. kind of freedom that I liked. Um, but the main thing that got me away from oil paint is that I did an artist residency and I spent like over $700 on oil paint and oh. I tried to take it on the plane with me and they wouldn't let me. Yeah. And so I was That's like right. yeah. so mad. I was like, I'm never painting <laughs> oil paint again. I just literally <laughs> threw away $700 worth of paint. And so ever since then I've been using acrylic. So I was like, maybe that's a sign. <laughs> Man, they made you throw all that paint I away? No, it was like huge yeah. packs, but I should have known that you can't carry it. I just, they let me bring it in into the state so i thought oh for sure they'll let me bring it out but it was a different wow conversation. so they're like no we're not having this <laughs> yeah it was <Yeah>. rough. 
<laughs> that's an interesting. Another another characteristic um, of your work that you have uh, is the use of collage for the eyes. Um, it's one I thought they were painted when I first saw it until I, I realized that they were from like other people. Tell me the, the decision behind that. Yes, I think um, it's something that I'm actually changing up now is before I wasn't very picky with like the eyes that I would use. So as long as they're like, oh, like a brown model, I'm like, okay, let me just, you know, use use whoever's eyes. But now I'm very like specific about the eyes that I use. And I think... Um, what, what changed? What inspired the change? I think seeing the difference between the connection that I had with the work when I used like a certain type of eye, I felt more connected mm. to the work. I felt like it conveyed more emotion. Like I recently did a, did a series that where there's no color, it's just black with different like textures and everything. And the eyes that I used were from specific people that I felt like drawn toward. Maybe I didn't know them, but there's something about their story or who they were, the way they carried themselves that I liked. And I felt like that work, I had more of an emotional connection to. So like I've recently been scanning like lots of eyes from people that I feel really, really drawn from. Like <laughs> there are they're not everyone that I know. Um, it's just, I feel like a, a vibe from them that I really enjoy or depth in their eyes. And those are the eyes that I'll be using from now on in my work. Um, but before I wasn't very picky at all. And I felt mm. like I just mainly, it was time as mm. well. Like I just, I was like, I don't have time to just, you know, find the perfect eye. You know, this eye works. It looks good. It's proportional. I'll just use that. But now that I have more time to kind of slow down, I'm beginning to think about each element of the painting and how I can make it more meaningful and right. specific. Right. I like that. I like that. Is that because of grad school? Another yeah. grad school? <laughs> grad school moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a light bulb moment. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty awesome yo that's pretty awesome uh so uh man so many it's so many material questions i want i don't but i don't want to get bogged down in details too much uh as as the artist in me <laughs> we just sit and talk about different paint colors and in pastels all day long <laughs> but i don't want to i don't want to keep you here that long um tell me tell me about the black rock residency yes oh my gosh like that residency was the residency that platformed my career for sure. Um, when I applied, I didn't really have any expectation that I would get it. I just knew that Mika Lane Thomas and Thelma Golden were on the, the judging table. So like, I just want them to see my work, even if they don't let me mm. into the residency. At least yeah. I know it's they've seen my work, even if it's for 10 seconds. You know, I just want yeah. my work you know, to be seen by them. And when I applied for it, I put my heart and soul into that application. Like Looking back, I really like put my, all my heart and soul into the cover letter. And the work that I even shown was so different. Like it wasn't the work that I do now. It was some of the realistic oil paintings along with, mm. you know, a bunch of other stuff that I did. So I was very surprised that they, that I, when I got in, because I was in my mind thinking they want a very established artist that already had specific style in mind. And so I showed so many different styles. So I was very surprised and like almost very overwhelmed um, because I was making such a big transition in my life when I got the residency. I just moved from California to New Jersey. And literally after like two weeks of living in New Jersey, I had to like go to go to Senegal for two months. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was just like so overwhelmed with first world that was problems happening. right there. Right, yeah. right. I'm just like, oh my gosh, all these great things happening to me. I'm so stressed, you know. <laughs> Why me? Like, Why right me? Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. I was I I just feel like maybe it's because I didn't know what I didn't I couldn't at that time really process how big of a deal this was just because right. I was so like 
overwhelmed almost. But once I got there, it really hit me. I'm like, wow, this is Kehinde Wiley's residency. This is going to change. My, I, I, at the time, I still wasn't even aware of how it was going to change my career. Um, and so I kind of approached the residency more so as like, I'm here to make work, but I'm also here to experience the continent for the first time. And I absolutely fell in love with Senegal, the people, the culture, the food, the beach, the water. I did so much stuff more than I've ever done in my life when I was there. I really wow. wanted to experience the culture there and and really not just be in my studio all day, but I wanted to make work, but I also knew that like I can make work in America, but I can't experience Senegal in America. Right. And so I I did it so much. I learned how to surf. Uh, we went to um, Gory Island, which is the island where um, a lot of the enslaved enslaved people were, it was like a resting stop before they were sent off to the Americas. Yeah. And so that was also a very emotional experience as well. So I really had to confront um, my history in that way, in a way that I never really wanted to do or thought about or even really thought that I should do, but it really showed me the importance of confronting that history and realizing how we, and really processing how I got to America. And and it was very emotional in that way. But the Kehinde is such a great host. Like he's very hands-on in terms of, he had classes where we learned the language Wolof. And we also had a class of um, where we had a French teacher as well. So we have found ways to Wow. Interact with the locals. We each basically had our own like apartment, like our own bathroom, living room, um, bedroom. And it was just such a, a great experience. And I remember Kehinde was saying that I want to show that we can live well. We can live well on the continent mm. as well. Like he wanted us to have be treated like we were special. And I think that that really showed through in terms of the way the residency was correlated. And we were also... Um, the first month and the first year. So we were the first ones to ever like set foot on Black Rock. Oh, wow. And <laughs> so wow. we had no expectations. We didn't, there weren't, there weren't any like, you know, Instagram photos that we can look through or any past residents that we yeah. can ask, you know, how, what to do. We were kind of just like setting the tone for everything. And so it was a great experience. Um, Gehenne definitely um, supports all the artists in the residency to this day. And it was it was probably one of, one of the best experiences of my life, even though I was like so overwhelmed at times I couldn't believe I was there. Yeah, um, it really was like a very rich experience. Wow, that is that sounds amazing, yo! Just <laughs> two months hanging out with Kahinde and taking classes in Senegal, like that's that that's amazing right there. Like, what do you what do you think that? Uh, I know you talked about that was the jump off your career, but what do you think it did to how you made art? Yes, it, it's so interesting making art outside of the West, um, especially with um, his, history here in America. A lot of um, African-American artists will go to Paris um, to find inspiration, specifically like right. jazz and um, yeah. the, the art scene in Paris. So, mm-hmm, like, James yeah, Baldwin like, did the same. Yeah, I was just going to say that real quick. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. James Baldwin went. Um, yeah, a lot of artists went to Paris. And so I think it was kind of to see it. It was, kind, it was really nice to see a nice flip in terms of us going back to the continent to find artistic inspiration and to find Mm -hmm. ourselves in a new way. Um, So I really think that that in itself was very powerful. And we had all people, people from all across the diaspora at the residency, some in Brazil, um, some in Nigeria, some in Senegal, 
Um, some from the Caribbean, some from New York. So it was a very diasporic experience. And I think from that, I was really inspired by just my peers there and also really pushed the materiality of my work in terms mm. of like, I really started to expand more on collage and incorporating fabric into my work because they have such beautiful patterns in Senegal. Like the markets have thousands upon thousands of fabrics and people go, they buy their fabrics. And it's very common for people to get um, clothing and dresses made specifically tailored to, to them, which was like really, really interesting to me. And that's when I started incorporating more patterns into my work because seeing the patterns there, seeing the clothing and the colors and how they're not afraid to wear like a polka dot shirt and like this really cool, like geometric striped pant and like look totally awesome in it, how there aren't these strict linear rules and also mm -hmm. seeing how there's so much untapped like creativity there that uh, we don't see in mainstream media. So you kind of feel like you're getting like the secret sauce, like, you know, like you can create right, something yeah. like, like really unique that hasn't, you know, you could be inspired by something really unique and special versus like, if, you know, you go to like Europe, you know, people know where your inspiration you know, it's coming from versus here. It's like you can bring something to, to light or like really showcase a culture that hasn't been explored in, in the West at least yet. Yeah. Yeah. And it's always good to get outside those confines where you don't, don't feel the same um, restrictions, right? You don't, you don't feel the same like rules holding, hovering over your head. Like I think it's the same way, um, in just the residencies in general, right? When you get out of your own personal comfortable space that you built for yourself and you go somewhere else, like you realize how different things could be. Like if you tried, you know what I mean? Yes, exactly. I feel like every artist should, should do as many residencies as possible. I think it's just a great way to meet other artists as well. And also just to get outside of your usual creative space and create in a new location, even if it's another state, like there's lots of residencies in like rural, like Ohio and Kentucky, and you're just surrounded by nature. And, you know, you're with like four or five other artists and they provide you with lunch and dinner and, and you just create. And I think that those type of experiences can really create an artistic breakthrough um if you let it yeah for sure you talked a little bit about uh throughout the conversation about how the kind of fine art world drew you in a little bit what was what was who was the person the moment that really got you into that space of fine art out of illustration to like I can do this. Like maybe it was your first solo show or maybe it was just being in some other random group show. But tell me about that moment. Yes, I think, so I was doing illustration, commercial art, but I would always paint on the side as a hobby, um, secretly hoping deep down that something would happen <laughs> with this, you know, but I was like, you know, I got to do the safe route, you know? Yeah. And it wasn't, I applied for the Vermont Studio Center residency and to my surprise, I got a fellowship. So it was completely paid for, and so I'm like, okay, this is perfect. I get a month and, you know, Vermont during the winter, which is like below zero degrees. So it forces <laughs> you to be in your studio all day. Yeah. But it's, you can barely even walk like, <laughs> like a quarter of a mile without like feeling like you're freezing to death. It's that wow. cold. <laughs> yeah, it was a very like, I definitely felt like I was out of California there, which was nice in a way because <laughs> it's just such an intense winter. Um, but it, in that way, it was kind of beautiful because it was like, you're, reaffirmed that you're in a new space yeah. but through that residency is when I created the the paintings that I'm painting now 
Um, I made at least two pieces and people were just in love with them. And I just couldn't really understand exactly why. And then I started, um, that's when I met my friend uh, Adabumi and she introduced me to Cheryl Riley, who is my mentor. And she, she saw the work and she's like, this is it. This is like, this is, this is, this is, this is, like, this is going <laughs> to pop off. And she just automatically knew. I was like, she has such, such a refined eye. I didn't wow. yeah. see what she was seeing at the time, but she was like, I'm going to sell these paintings. And she ended up buying one for herself and she sold one to Jesse Williams, the actor. And Nina oh, nice. Chanel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He has a, a, a great art collection and Nina Chanel Abney, who's represented oh, by Jack yeah. Shiman. So yeah. I was just like, wow. I was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, they're buying my work. I was like, what? <laughs> I was so surprised. Um, I was like, maybe this is a sign I should do more. And so after that, I was like, okay, cool. Like I have that on my resume now, like that they're buying my work. And then that's when I um, contacted Band Devices, like, hey, can you check out my work? And then I went, went up so there. So you and, contacted them. Yeah. So I, I sent them an email because they have like a submissions part okay. of their yeah. website. And Back in the day, like, you know, three, four years ago, like not that long, I was super aggressive. Like I was very much like always looking for an opportunity to show my work, like any means possible. Even with that Vermont studio residency, I was like, I was like, I I just want to get out of LA and I would apply for tons of residencies and you don't get each one, you know, you apply for a 20, you get maybe two if that, you know, so I will, I reached out and they really liked my work and that's when you know, we did like this group show, which eventually led to a solo show, which eventually led to the Kennedy Wiley residency. And so things just kind of always say the, the fine art world chose me because I don't know if I would have been brave enough to choose mm. the fine art world because I was so kind of driven by by finances, unfortunately. You know, it's a capitalist society. I grew up in low income family. I'm like, you know, I have to support myself because if I don't, nobody will because I don't have any support system. So in a way, I feel like each journey that we have is cater to who we are. And I feel like the fine art world chose me because I probably wouldn't have been brave enough to choose the fine art world. Um, but I'm glad it chose me. And it's, it's been a roller coaster ever since, you know, there's so many new projects coming up and I'm in school and, you know, I'm so thankful for everything. And it's just right now it's trying to balance it all and stay sane in the process. Yeah, for sure. So, and somebody coming up in that situation, I think a lot of us are in that situation, right? Where we, uh, despite the what social media may say, we all don't know a professional working artist who is living and thriving in the way that we think about living and thriving, right? And so, mm-hmm. what do you what do you what would you say to somebody listening to this podcast that is in that situation? May not be and and don't take this as offense, but may not be as good as you, right? In terms of work, what what do you say to that person and try to mm-hmm. encourage them and keep them going? Yeah, I would say for me, I'm a a big um, enthusiast on learning foundation. So for me, I would say if you're a figurative artist, study the figure, study composition, study color theory, study these things that make an image interesting and striking because a lot of people have great ideas, but not everyone has the tool set to to articulate them. So I would Mm -hmm. say make sure you're studying your foundation if you're an abstract artist, look at the history of abstract art, go to abstract art shows. If you're a figurative artist, go to museums, go to shows, look at art, look at what's being shown at the art fairs in New York City. Like there's a Dallas art fair in um, Texas, the Armory in New York. Go to these fairs and see what's what's around you and also know who are the artists that are 
making it. You don't have to know them personally, but follow them and see what their career trajectory was because not everyone, you know, made it super young. There's some people who didn't make it like Amy Sherrill who who did the Michelle Obama portrait. She, she didn't right. start getting recognized till her mid to late thirties, you know? Right. So every journey is very different. And I think it's best to not compare your journey to one another. But I think the most important thing is consistency. Even if your work isn't selling, even if it's not getting many works on Instagram, go into that studio every day with the purpose. And I firmly believe that things will happen if that is your calling and also use the power of social media. You know, nowadays you don't have to go to a Yale to make it in the art industry because we have social media and you can have access to, to show your work to many major galleries. So I would say use that to your advantage, use the times that we're in and the resources that we have to our advantage. And, you know, it all, it only takes knowing one person. You don't have to know 10 different people. It's just Mm -hmm. knowing one person that's the right person and, I remember there's this quote that says, artists work really hard to get lucky. And that's pretty mm. much what it is. You just have to get lucky and you have to work hard and be consistent enough to be there at the right moment, at the right time for things to just connect. So I would say consistency um, raises your chances of getting lucky. Oh, man, that's great advice. Absolutely. And what do you what do you have coming up that you can speak about? Yeah, so I, ha- I have a few things coming up. Um so there's the Dallas Art Fair, um, which I'll be doing with uh, Loose, Loose Gallery. And um, Neiman Mar- Marcus nominated me as Artist of the Year. So we're going to be having a dinner. Um, nice. So, <laughs> yeah, it's my first, you know, like award type dinner. So I'm really excited for that. And um, we're also releasing a puzzle with, in partnership with ArtX Puzzles and the Dallas Art Museum as well. And then I'm also doing a collaboration with the Smithsonian um, African-American um, Art Museum in D.C. where we're doing um, limited edition um, um, art, artworks that are going to be in their store. And so I would say the main main big thing is is the Neiman Marcus. Um, I also have a few few other projects coming into works, but follow me on Instagram. You know, you'll, <laughs> you'll, you'll see, you'll, you'll learn more. <laughs> Absolutely, yo! Thank you so much for coming on the show. Tell them where they can follow you. Yes, so you can follow me at um, by Grace Lynn B Y G R A C E Lynn L Y N N E. And if you have any questions about the art world. You can also feel free to email me at bygracelyn at yahoo.com. I'm very, I love to, to help people coming up, especially people of color, because I know the struggle is real and, Absolutely. and here to offer <laughs> advice. <laughs> Absolutely. We definitely appreciate you having your voice, doing the work that you do. Absolutely incredible. I love being able to talk to all the Black contemporary voices out right now that are redefining the culture. And I love mm-hmm. it, Joe. So big congratulations to you on all your success. Thank you for having me. This is such a great conversation. Such a great question. It's really got me thinking and um, I look forward to staying in contact. That's it. Another episode of Studio Noise in the Bag. Big thank you to Grace Lynn Haynes for coming on the show. Blessing us with her fantastic self. (laughs) It's the noise. We'll be back with you next week. New guests. I don't know who yet, <laughs> but I will work it out. We'll get it right. And all my artists out there, I want you to listen to Grace. She says, submit your stuff to these jury shows just so you get your work in front of these people. So they know who you are. So they can see 
that you making that noise are you serious you gonna get it going yo it's your boy jay barber i'll holler at you next week peace thank you for listening to the studio noise podcast subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts please take a second to rate us and write a review to make sure everybody knows about the noise follow us on instagram at studio noise podcast